นโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนมัสสามิเราต้องมีคำถามว่าเราต้องมีคำถามว่าเราต้องมีคำถามว่าเราต้องมีคำถามว่าเราต้องมีคำถามว่าเราต้องมีคำถามว่าเราต้องมีคำถามว่าเรา
me, the person, you know, with a story and my relationships and all of that means, I need to have that. I need to relate to it skillfully. I can't just deny it or try to obliterate it through my meditation practice. That'll be a, a disaster. And the idea of space, even. You know, I'm going from here and I'm going back home. So all of that's necessary. All of that is, is, is good as it is, isn't it? And we have the opportunity to use these teachings, if we wish, to also, in addition, see that for what it is. It's a perception right now. You know, I'm leaving, I'm going tomorrow. All of that's something I'm adding right now. And really what's happening? You know, the body, sensations will change, probably, no doubt. They always are, but that's the point. They always are anyway. You know, the, what, we, what we see will change, my mood will change. So the four foundations of mindfulness that we've been learning about and practicing, mindfulness of the body, the kaya nusati, and mindfulness of the feelings, agreeable feelings, disagreeable feelings, whatever they are, sight, sounds, feelings, thoughts, moods, you know, it's either pleasant, agreeable, or it's unpleasant, disagreeable, or it's you know, neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And of course, itself, it's not, it's not any of this. It's just how we respond, how we react. Ah, that's pleasant. Ah, that's unpleasant. And so starting to bring our attention just to this simple dynamic, which is a natural and ordinary part of life and always part of our experience. Of course, whether or not we're sitting a meditation retreat at IMS, this is a way that we can, you know, use the teachings to key into a different way of looking at what I am experiencing now, you know, me and my life here now, how do I practice? We can use these teachings to just remember, ah, oh, yes, right, okay, there's all of this, yes, I can't stop paying attention, but I can also, in addition, notice this is pleasant. Ah, oh, isn't that interesting? I hadn't really, I mean... Somewhere subconsciously I'd known that, but I hadn't really made it very conscious. This is unpleasant, and there's all that goes along with that. So how do we bring this practice back with us to the situations that we're normally engaged in outside of a meditation retreat? Each one of us will have to find our own way, of course. And, and yet it is very possible in the sense that we've got this potpourri of different ways of teaching, the Buddha's teaching, which is actually a very simple teaching at its core, isn't it? But we have the different lists and the different practices and techniques, and in this case, the core fundamental uh, way of practicing with our experience called the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, using what's here now, always, not just what's here during the retreat. So, physical sensation, yes, we can always find some physical sensation and be mindful of the body as the body. You know, as, as simple as that sounds, as, as non, uh, you know, it doesn't sound like it's going to lead anywhere necessarily, but it is very profound if we give ourselves to turning our minds to just remembering, ah yes, body sensation, body sensation is here now. And there's what I have to do my conversation that I'm having with this person or my you know, task where I have to walk from A to B or whatever it is, doing the shopping. Even, you know, sitting on the, on the sofa watching television. 
I, I don't know if it's possible to mindfully veg out. <laughs> it seems like an oxymoron. You just, you, but the, the, so you could take out the veg part. Maybe you could, I don't know if there's some sort of more active nutritious vegetable that you could replace as an image. But you can. It's very, very difficult. And I'm not necessarily recommending this as a special practice. But <laughs> you can, can't you? You can watch television and just blur. You know, you, that's it. And sometimes we need to do that. You know, because it's always a matter of balance. Like Ayam Medanandi was recalling the Buddha's image of the tuning the string. Not too tight, not too loose, then you get a note. And sometimes we have to loosen up those strings, so it might be appropriate just to, okay, you know. And it is possible, too, to sit there on that couch, or slouch there on that couch, and watch whatever we're watching, and bring our mind to body sensation. might not sound possible if you haven't done it before, but it is. And many of you probably have done it before. And so what is it in us that doesn't want to do that? So that's often, for me, the crux of the, the matter. It's not really, you know, oh, my life's too busy, I can't practice. I can't find the time to practice. You know, people in Ubon uh, used to tell Ajahn Chah, you know, th- this story that I, we've heard many times in the monastery, teachers who taught, all, you know, were teaching all the time and wanted to practice, but said, look, we're too busy, how can we have time to practice? We have to teach all day long, and then we get back home, we have to cook the food and do all the family and everything. He says, well, do you have time to breathe? You know, if you have time to breathe, you have time to practice. Because it's not about the external situation, it's about what we're doing with our mind. Do we take the opportunity to turn towards, uh, well, mindfulness, awareness, practicing with learning from our experience right here in this moment. And as long as we can actually be mindful, well then yes, we can practice. And it's very rare that we can't be you know, aware, be, be mindful. There are these moments, yes, we have to go to sleep. And yes, sometimes there'll be some situation which is you know, such that we just can't do it for some reason or another. But mostly it's about practice, isn't it? It's about just... Uh, you know, it's like the muscles aren't strong enough yet. The mindfulness muscles are a bit weak. And, and so we can't just, like with physical exercise, we can't get out of this retreat and think, okay, right, I'm going to be mindful 100% of the time because it just won't work. And we don't have the muscles. They're not strong enough yet. It's like trying to run a marathon when you're out of shape. You have to start slow, bit by bit, and not be judgmental. And then you start to, you know, the body at first, God, I hate this. Why are you doing this? You feel nauseous and all of that. But you kind of know this is good for me, so you get through it. Maybe it takes a few days. Maybe it takes a few weeks. But eventually your body does adjust, and then it actually starts to become pleasant. And you, you enjoy your, your half a mile run or your one mile run or whatever it is, your walk or your exercises, uh, whatever we do physically. Well, it's the same uh, or similar, at least, with the training the mind. And we don't want to do it. You know, we will feel nauseous, we'll feel psychically nauseous sometimes when we approach the practice. No. And so it's very easy, you know, outside of the intense sort of formalized practice situations to just uh, say, right, okay, I can't do it, you know, because I don't have the support, you know, which is the same kind of support, which is true. You know, the conditions aren't there for me to really be uh, subtly mindful in every moment, which may be true, right? But what are we really doing? We're 
there's an excuse of, you know, I can't do it because the conditions are not good enough. They're not supportive enough. And if we really look, you know, because I do this too. I'm a monk, and I've, how can I make excuses? I've got incredible conditions, always supporting me. And yet, there is, if I'm, if I'm honest with what's going on in my mind, often that turning of, well, not right now, later. Not right now, later. Not right now, later. And, of course, yes, uh, we must uh, find how to work with these things in a way where we're not, you know, where, where we're, we can do it. So that may mean that we're so judgmental, we're so habitually self-judging uh, of ourselves that even starting to turn towards practice in the way that I'm trying to describe, all that seems to happen is it kicks into my judging mind again. You know, I'm not practicing enough. I should, I should, I should, I should. And so if that's what's happening, again, it's like we can... We can relax around, widen around, and at the same time kind of looking for a better word than undermine because that's, that's a sort of um, a fighting word. But you end up undermining that tendency. You know, if you can think of a more whole, wholesome, loving word, you can think of it. But you undermine that tendency of just getting into this right, you know, this is not working for me, by, okay, I'm judging now. And that's what's happening. And I'll practice with this. Okay, you know, I am not the way I want to be. And that's what's happening now. And I'll practice with this. Not, you know, I can't be mindful because I'm not, I can't be the mindful me that I know I can be on retreat. Well, that may be true. But I can pay attention to what's happening. I can't fool myself that I can't pay attention to what's happening. So if I start to learn that that's what practice is, being aware of really just observing what's going on and training the mind to do that. And yes, we have, to, we have to be engaged with what's going on. So it's not in conflict to our activities, is it? It's a matter of uh, bringing that, also bringing that consciousness to, yes, I'm aware, I'm doing this, I'm engaging with, I'm talking to you know, my friend here, and I'm aware of what's going on. And at first, it's very hard. So training those muscles, training that, you know, getting a bit stronger, we don't start with conversations or uh, movies on the television or computers. You know, these things are reading. These things, are, it's possible to be mindful while doing all these things, but it's hard. It's really difficult. So you start with the times when it's easier, and you don't try to do it all day long. You do it just a little bit, like your half-mile run, and then you stop, and you let yourself just be whatever your normal is, you know? And we don't have to believe our ideas about what our normal is, because that's usually a little bit skewed too. So just, you know, whatever. But just, okay, I'll find this time, you know, each day, I know I have this walk to work, I do it, it's 20 minutes. And so I'll make it a practice. And maybe there'll be exceptions, you know, I meet somebody and I have to talk to them on the way or something. But whenever I'm walking, as I usually do, this walk, I'll just make it, a body practice. It'll be my time to be as mindful as I can for these 20 minutes. And so you can. You, you still have to... It's not, of course, the, the sort of super-duper Burmese um, honing down into the subtle sensations of walking kind of walking practice, because you might get run over by a bus if you're really walking very, very, very slowly and concentratedly. So it's not about focus and concentration. It's about this, as we've been saying during the retreat, this wide open, yes, inclusive sense of allowing 
ourselves to be aware of what, what there is, you know, people, traffic, the little red light that says don't walk, and all of that. And included in all of that field of awareness, I can feel something in my body. You know, I don't have to feel the very subtle sensations just in this part of the sole of my foot, but I can feel something in my body. And so, okay, stay with that. Use that as an anchor. Allow me to, be, to remember that I'm trying to be aware for these 20 minutes today. And so being with the body, just being a body walking. And so this kind of practice that we've been starting to, we've been training in, the four foundations of mindfulness, that mindfulness of the body can be used in, in many different ways. And that's one of them. You know, it, it even says in the classical description that the Buddha gave in the scriptures of knowing the body stretching when you're stretching, knowing the body, you know, when you're, when you're squatting, you know you're squatting, when you're sitting, you know you're sitting, when you're standing, you know you're standing. It sounds pretty simple. You know, so what? But actually, it's quite a different thing, isn't it? When you're on automatic pilot and you're just going and you're doing these things, and if you're doing them consciously, you can do exactly the same things. You don't have to actually change your lifestyle, but you do need to remember to be aware. And sati, mindfulness, the word in Pali means remembering, keeping in mind. And it's this, you know, it doesn't take too much willpower to remember. It's not, a, it's not a force thing. You know, it's, and I'm not talking about remembering particular memories, because many of us, believe it or not, myself included, for some reason, I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm getting early stage, you know, kind of middle age Alzheimer's or something. But many of us have, you know, not very good memories in the sense of like, well, what did they say? And what was that thing I read the other day? And where did I find that article? And, and so on. So it's not that kind of memory. That, that's a function of the mind. It comes and goes. It's dependent on conditions. But it's the kind of memory that is sort of, you could even call it a habit of the mind, of, of, of a turning, just remembering to, oh, yes, right, just be conscious. Oh, yes, right. So it's like developing a familiarity with what that feels like and the habit of doing, a simple turning of just this now, nothing more. And often what that is is, you know, there's body sensation. You can just be a body. So walking for those 20 minutes. I don't have to think. I don't have to stop thinking because that might not be possible. My mind is probably going to be thinking, right, you know, I've got to get this. And then when I get there, i got those emails. And then, da, 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 da. well, okay, right. Let the mind do that. And at the same time, just notice, right, the feeling of the body as it walks. Boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. Bum, bum, bum. It might not make those sounds for you, but just whatever it feels like, <laughs> whether it's silent or makes a silly little noise, basically there is this feeling of a body walking, whatever it feels like. And I can just be on automatic pilot and not notice it, or I can also ch- turn my mind there. And it doesn't mean I have to stop thinking about everything. So that often, you know, for, for we, 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 we get caught in this idea of like, I can only do one thing at a time. I can, you know, I can either be mindful, which means I have to stop everything else and look, 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 look at my feet and body and what did he say, right? Yeah, feelings, disagreeable or whatever. And then, okay, and, and it helps, shh, shh, don't talk, don't, don't walk too loudly, don't snore, you know, I have to, and then when we get out of here, we have to do what I have to do. So I'm, I'm, I'm doing my emails, or I'm having my conversation, or I'm reading my book. And it's not actually that way. We actually can expand outwards. So it feels like a sort of widening, allowing, uh, being just, just wake, I mean, waking up. They do use that 
that, that word, those, that phrase comes up for a reason. It feels sort of almost like waking up, doesn't it? And, and we have this sense of, oh, yeah, right. Here I am. And I can do this, and I can also be aware that I'm doing it. Isn't that interesting? Look at that. You know, it's different than if I'm just on automatic pilot and I didn't remember, you know, how did I get here again? All right. I must have walked. I can actually... I can be aware while I'm walking and know that I'm walking. It doesn't, ma- it doesn't matter how aware I am of my body. It doesn't really matter how much my mind... As long as I can remember to be aware, it doesn't matter what my mind is doing. The third foundation of mindfulness, the citta nupasana, is to know the expanded mind as the expanded mind, to know the contracted mind as the contracted mind. So it's really it's to know the thinking mind as the thinking mind, the restless mind as the restless mind, the peaceful mind as the peaceful mind. That knowing is what we're looking at, what we're trying to develop a familiarity with. And we can do that in whatever situation. You know, it really helps to have this kind of situation where people keep reminding us and, and we keep reminding ourselves. And so, yes, uh, as it's come up various times during the week, it's really essential to have others that we're in relationship with that remind us about the practice. So a sangha, as it's used, uh, here in the Vipassana circles in the West, a lay sangha of you know, group of practitioners that we're somehow in contact with, yes, it's, 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 I'd say it's essential for almost everybody, if not everybody. It helps. But we have, you know, our lives are as they are, and we can only do what we can do. And it's not, you know, if I'm making the excuse that my life is just such that I can't practice, well, that's something I'm choosing to do right now in this moment. And eventually, you know, I have to take responsibility for that truth. I don't have, I can practice right now. I don't have to wait until, since, you know, practice includes the kinds of mindfulness practice we're talking about here. It's not only refined types of practices which may indeed depend on certain conditions, such as absorption jhana practice when you go one-pointedly into a meditation object, yes, you do need special conditions for that. And yes, that is valuable. And yes, that is also a part of the, the spectrum of teachings that we, that we have from the Buddha. And, well, can I do that right now at work? I don't think it would really work well if I, you know, try to sit here. I mean, obviously, I can't do my emails while I'm in jhana. And that probably wouldn't work well, even if I could drop into jhana within a few seconds, which I can't. But uh, even if I could, it wouldn't probably work very well if you're sitting there in full lotus, floating half an inch above your office chair <laughs> for five minutes, and then you pop out again. You probably have a circle of office workers looking at you, one of them having called the emergency services. <laughs> so that, you know, this is making light of it, but it's basically to make the point that we, the practice is, is, it is all of our life. It's not just the time that we have the formal meditation times. It's how, you know, these formal meditation times are like developing the way to, you know, comprehend or, or, or uh, really understand in the sense of standing under this, un, this uh, the, the wisdom that, you know, how do I work with my experience, my life? My life doesn't, you know, it's not that my meditation life is different from my ordinary life. There's just life. This is it. What is the reality? How do I work with it in a way which leads to freedom? Well, I would say that uh, it's important. One thing that's important is to remember that that's something, that's an aspiration that I have. 
again, as simple as that sounds, just remember this is something I want to do, this is something important to me, and I, and, and I, I'm, I want to commit myself to it. Because otherwise, uh, the habits that kick in, I'll just forget it. Uh, and I'll have this idea of me, yes, I'm a Vipassana meditator, and I go to IMS sometimes, and I'm a Buddhist for this reason and that reason, but somehow, just during the ordinary course of my day, I'm, I'm, not really, I'm not really focused on, you know, a priority for me here, as I'm living my life, is freedom and wisdom. So, and I for, I've sort of lost touch with that, I've forgotten it. So just calling to mind my, my wish to follow this path, simple as that sounds, is one way to effectively bring the practice into my life. And I would imagine, you know, for me as a monk it's different because everything's reminding all the time. We've got these robes and there's the, all the, the pageantry of all the sort of, you know, where you go and who you follow and when you do the bowing and, and all of the beautiful supports that we have. Even then, it becomes automatic after a while because like anything, you know, it's just you get used to it. And you have to find ways again of making the practice real for you and bringing the practice into your life. So for you, even more so, I'd imagine, for most of you, are in situations where the people around you won't be interested in this. And so, how do I, you know, it's a koan, there's, there's this feeling of uh, having to just keep that in the heart without trying to, to, to find the answer in the brain. But how do I, you know, remember what's important to me? And, and, you know, it's not for everyone all the time, maybe, uh, because we have to balance these things, uh, don't we? We have to see what the effect of the different practices we take on really are for us at this time. But the contemplation on death has come up several times during this retreat. It's really a, a fundamental part of the Buddha's teaching, and it seems to have popped up here and there uh, for us. But that is one way, you know, one, one can just... That, that marana nusati, just remembering that I'm going to die, simple as that sounds, making that real, can be a way to sort of keep the sense of uh, sangwega is the word for sort of spiritual urgency, of a sense of like, right, yes, okay, yes, this is important, I have to sort, sort this out, you know, I have to work, I have to um, address this, relation, you know, this relationship with this person here, yes, that's not to dismiss any of that, and how do I remember what's, what my, what I'm trying, what, what's important to me, my, my deepest priorities? Well, one way can be to keep death in mind, negative and, and weird and, and sort of pessimistic as that might sound. It is something the Buddha recommended. And there are many ways. You know, one, another way is to just make a practice, a simple practice, not easy, but simple, in the sense of not complicated, of taking one of these foundations of mindfulness and, and sticking with it, you know, for a particular period of the day. Again, I would say don't start out by saying, okay, all day long, because it won't work. And, and many of you, in fact, probably most of you in this room have been practicing for many, many, many years. Some of you longer than I've been practicing. So you've heard all this many times, just as I have. You know, it's, it's a matter of how do, you know, how do we make it so that I really can bring it in to my life, or you know, you could put it the other way. I really bring my life into my practice. I like to do it that way, where I center myself, find myself again in my practice, and then right, how do I bring all of my life, more and more of my life, say, into my into this space of of knowing, 
watching, witnessing, learning. So using the body contemplation you know, is, is, is one thing we can choose to do, which is always possible and can even be fun after a while. You know, you can just use whatever sensation. It can be involuntary sensations, which are just there. You know, the breath will probably be too subtle most of the time as we're going along, you know, depending on our workplace and our sort of peace of mind. And yet there'll be rougher sensations, which are always just there that we can use. The feet on the ground or the uh, bottom on the cushion, the back or the neck or whatever we're feeling, saliva in the mouth, you know, just little things which don't seem much in themselves, ways to stay in touch with, okay, yes, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing. I can't not pay attention to that. But And I'm also starting to be aware of my body as I do it. And it's an interesting thing. So maybe just taking you know, a few minutes a day to start to bring that in. Let's see if I can, maybe just for one minute, you know, when I'm having a conversation with somebody, also be aware of my body as I sit and have that conversation or as I stand and have that conversation. And at first it feels weird. It's like, well, no, 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 I have to do this. One, one thing or the other thing. But how do I train my mind to expand and be conscious of just more than this one thing I'm focused on? Well, okay, one minute when I'm having a conversation with somebody, I'll try to be aware of my body as I'm talking to them. Okay, and then after the minute, fine, just whatever. Go into automatic normal mode. And then, you know, the next day, do it again, one minute, and start to train yourself in this way. It's a way, you know, of being creative to use the stuff of our life to start to uh, develop these practices that we learn about during the special circumstances, the whole special artificial, you'd almost say, situation that we create during these wonderful retreats. So you can use any of these four foundations of mindfulness like this. You can be aware of the feelings of pleasant and unpleasant and neutral, just as a kind of, you know, way of just noticing, you know, how, how, how does it feel? On, on any level, you can use the mind, you know, what is my mind state? Just noticing, as, at first, as, uh, it could be just like noticing your mood. You know, often we're not aware of our mood, we're just in our mood. And then someone says, how are you? And he's, I'm fine. And you think, well, uh, actually, oh yeah, right. And so bringing a sense of, con you know, continu as continuously as possible, just also knowing what, what, what is my mind like right now. And not worrying, not saying, you know, I, oh dear, you know, my mind's not the way it should be. Because, God, how long have I been practicing? And look how stirred up I am. And so I just won't look. I just won't look. I'll wait till I can practice. And that'll be, that's the right thing to do. Because right now, look at it. Ah, can't practice. Well, no, I can be aware, just as aware of my stirred up mind as I can be of my peaceful mind. And that which knows, you know, eventually, if we start to bring this into our life as a practice, we get a bit more familiar with this, uh, what is it? This, this quality, or sens it's not a sensation, this, this experience of witnessing, of knowing. We get a bit more familiar with it. It's like uh, start to just to hear the frequency. Still a lot of noise, you know, 
like a radio dial with a lot of just but you start to notice there's a frequency there and that's just one image an auditory image but it's basically whatever it feels like for us like like coming home coming to yourself waking up coming into the center this sense of oh yeah i'm noticing i'm awake i know i know knowing what's going on like waking up we get familiar with it. The more we start to, you know, bring these practices, it's, it's artificial in a sense. You know, we have to kind of do it. We have to say, okay, I'm going to do this thing of one minute trying to be with my body when I talk to somebody. And it feels artificial sometimes. And yet, it's not to diminish the power of these things. Because once we start to do it more and more, we don't have to, do, we don't have to kind of get it. Uh, in terms of like going out and looking for it. It'll just arise on its own. We start to get more of a taste, more of a familiarity for also this sense of witnessing. And that becomes more of a habit of the mind. And habit may not be the best word to use. It's tendency or um, uh, uh, ground of the mind. Where there's, and again, these words are words that we just use to point and here I am using the word mind, you could use the word awareness. The ground of awareness, the ground of the mind. These are all ways of just pointing to something which is quite natural. It's not something that, you know, it, that's Buddhist in quotation marks on its own. It, it's a natural human capacity that we have to witness and wake up to what's going on. We don't have to be on automatic pilot, like, like perhaps... Uh, you know, many people are, many, uh, I don't know how self-aware animals are, but probably most animals, if not all animals, are also in this sort of automatic pilotness. So there's consciousness, but it's just, it's, it's diminished because we're just following our feelings and thoughts and feelings and thoughts and reactions and counter-reactions and so on. Well, we also have this wonderful capacity to do something to expand around it and notice what's going on. And that's something which sounds so, sim so kind of simple and not necessarily very profound, but it is. It, it is. It's the, 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 the Buddha said, as Ajahn Sachita reminded us the other day, that uh, mindfulness is the path to the deathless. We hear this word, the deathless. What is that? The deathless. The deathless. You know, what is the... De you can't... The deathless. But... <laughs> It's something you can recognize. And how do we, you know, how, how then, okay? How do we do it? Mindfulness. Mindfulness. Can it be that simple? Well, yeah. That doesn't mean it's easy, because it's not easy, is it? But it's simple. It's not complicated. So remembering our aspiration is one way of really helping. This is something I, I, I want to commit myself to. And it's not something I have to, you know, that 100% commitment means I have to give up my life and become a monk or a nun. You know, I mean, becoming a monk or a nun is really helpful, really good thing to do. It's not for everybody. And it's, it's not necessarily essential, you know, to taking this path all the way that it can go. Certainly not essential to practicing this path. So we have the stuff of our life as they are. How do I, what does 100% commitment mean? Really, for me, because you can have plenty of monks and nuns who are not, you know, 100% committed. And then it's not really about I am a person who is 100% or not. It's any particular moment, isn't it? Sometimes, 
I'm 92.5% committed. Sometimes I'm, you know, 34% committed. Sometimes I'm 100% committed. Sometimes I don't want to hear any of this stuff. And so it's constantly changing. And by keeping this as, a, med- as a, you could say, a practice or a meditation just to reflect on, perhaps in the morning and then in the evening again. Because it can be too much to say, right, I'm going to remem- keep remembering this all out throughout the day. We'll just not be able to do it. So, okay, once in the morning when I get up, maybe first thing, maybe not, maybe some particular time when we meditate, I'll remember, I'll start my meditation with this. This is my priority. Or at least, you know, it may not be a priority. It's a priority. You know, but if it is, it's, this is my priority. Just doing that simple turning of the mind and remembering really has an effect. It's somehow, you know, something that's a bit semi-conscious or even unconscious remembers and it seeps through a little bit more and a little bit more throughout the day. So using the body and as a way to help us practice in the usual circumstances of our lives is, is a very available and possible thing to do. Chitta nupasana, mindfulness of mind states, very, uh, you know, once we get a sense for, for what that is, that quality of, of knowing, we can do that. Maybe, you know, it's, it's, uh, we need a little bit more quietness at first to remember how to do that. But after a while, quite possible. This sense of watching myself as I live my life. And so that kind of the automatic pilot walk that I take to work, and you get there and you can't even remember how you got there. You just, oh, yeah, right, here I am. Or I'll be conscious as I walk to work. That whole thing, that can be expanded out as we get a bit uh, more, you know, we, we develop our mindfulness muscles that can be expanded and expanded and expanded so that we become somebody who is mindful of his or her life as we live it. You know, it's, it's, it, it's, uh, we bring our life, our whole life into the practice. Uh, what, witnessing ourselves as we go around fumbling and bumbling and, you know, doing what we're not supposed to do and, and being how we're not supposed to be and all of it. Because it's not about, you know, me becoming, it's no longer about me becoming the success in practice that I now want to be. It's not, I'm not, I'm never going to get there. Or even if I do, it doesn't matter. Because that me that can be successful or who can fail is not, that's just body, mind, feelings, changes, fall down, I hit my head, I forget who I was. You know, I mean, it's dependent on all kinds of conditions that can change. But this knowing that we have a capacity for if we really investigate and we really get familiar with it, well, we may discover it's not dependent on these conditions that I'm so identified with. As I start to witness my life and allow myself to witness me not being the way I want to be, this is not what I want. You know, the, all of that, this, this, it should be different. I want it to be different. Whatever it is, as I witness that, I don't have to change the conditions, but I, I have the, the opportunity to find a freedom in that knowing which embraces, which is encompassing all of it. Um, as an idea, as a concept that we use these different words to point to, well, it's just that. All it is is an idea. And we can you know, blindly believe it and become a blindly believing Buddhist of one type or another, or a fundamentalist Buddhist of one type or another. You know, it can become a view, an opinion, and it, and it probably will, because that's what our minds do anyway. But remembering again and again, just now, what's the, you know, it's a sense of, 
how do I get in touch with just now, not just being identified with my views and opinions about myself or the world or the practice or anything else. And so the four foundations of mindfulness that we've been given, and we've mostly been talking about the first three because the fourth is the different themes that we can bring into our practice. There are many. You know, the mindfulness of the Four Noble Truths, mindfulness of the five khandhas, which are uh, the, the, the body, mind, nama, rupa, many different sorts of divisions of things as we can look at it. So using the teachings, mindfulness of our experience through the lens, through the sort of angle, particular angle of the teachings. Yes, okay, that's the fourth. So using these fourth, four foundations of mindfulness is a way that we can answer that question, okay, right, that's all great, you know, but how? How do I do it? Well, it's simple. Not easy, no, because our habits are towards the capital V, veg, slouch on the couch, watch the television, or whatever it might be for us. Not everybody's into watching television. But we all have our ways not to be mindful. So whatever it might be, you know, how do we how do we bring practice into our life, or how do we bring our life into our practice more and more? Not easy, but simple. A turning of the mind, using these teachings of the four foundations of mindfulness as a way, well, this is one way. Use the body sensations. You know, I do it sometimes when traveling, because we get these invitations now. When you're junior, monk or nun, you just stay in one place, and then when you get more senior, people give you invitations. And unless you say, no, 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 you end up traveling a lot anyway, because you're getting invited here and there for different reasons. So there's a lot of sort of on the bus or in the train or on the plane or, you know, traveling. And yet you're in between things. And so often I'll just say, right, I'll, I'll, I'll make a practice out of just being a body, sitting there on the plane, right? There's my mind doing what my mind's doing, whatever it is, it'll be different. There's my mood, whatever that is. There's my, what, you know, I might want to watch the movie because I never have a chance to watch movies on the plane. <laughs> you know, and maybe I will sometimes. But I also can just body, sitting here, just body. Nothing more than that. It's just a, you know, and that's a truth, isn't it? I feel like I'm me. I'm Jayanto Bhikkhu. And all that goes with that right now at this point in time. But actually, really look at it. There's awareness. And there's feelings. There's thoughts, the changing all the time. There's the mood sense. There's body, you know, nama rupa, name and form or mind and body. Different ways we get to sort of just take ourselves out of our usual identification with everything and see it from a different angle as a way to get a perspective, this greater perspective of awareness. Body just sitting on a plane, like a lump. You know, and then blink sometimes and swallow some saliva and gurgle somewhere, feel a bit of a pain, and just watching. And then the awareness is just, all right, yes. And it's peaceful. It's actually peaceful. I don't have to be what was the, what I'm caught up my current story of like, yeah, right, okay, and I didn't do that, and whatever the thing is, carries all the feelings with it. Yeah, that's there too. I don't have to block that out. But I just sort of turn the tension from there towards or include body, sitting. And it's a way that I can then tune into this peace, which, again, is just a way of talking. But like I was saying, for me, this phrase of always already there is helpful. 
because it's like it, it is. There's always the sense of awareness, a stillness, which is always already there. And I just have to remember, use mindfulness, sati, to, to turn towards it, tune into it. That's just a way of talking. You know, if you look for something called mindfulness, which perpetuates through time, that's, we've gone into abstraction and, it, and it's all wrong again. So ways to use our life, the normal experiences that we have, each one of us is different. You know, some of us have to use uh, computers more. Some of us are, you know, kind of having to talk to people more. Some of us are you know, have a very quiet life already. Whatever the situation, you know, this just using we can always use this moment now to start to train the mind to become familiar with this taste of mindfulness or awareness. So these are a few thoughts on leaving the retreat. I'm sure Ajahn Suchito will provide more uh, before tomorrow. And just to remember, you know, the sense of time, it's something also which is a really profound and valuable contemplation, just to notice how our minds create our worlds, particularly in the sense of time. You know, if just that too, perhaps, for some people, you know, take it if it's useful, don't if it's not. But I found it very useful as a way also of coming back to the center and, and coming back into being mindful in this moment, even when I'm outside of a retreat situation, which is to contemplate time in the sense of just noticing it for what it is as perceptions or thoughts in the mind in this moment now. And so I see, okay, right, come back to the body, yep, body's here, sitting, breathing, everything else. And then, my, and then there's my idea of last week, you know, last year, whatever the past means for me right now. Seeing that for what it is, it's an idea. It's a, 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 a conglomeration of thoughts, a sankhara, arising in this moment now. Not wrong, it's not something I have to obliterate or, or anything like that, but that's what it is, too, and I can also notice that. The past is a thought happening now. In the future, all this sense of, okay, this is the last day, whatever that brings. Tomorrow, it ends, whatever that brings. All of that also, those are thoughts arising right now and ceasing and arising again and ceasing. And we know that because we've heard the teachings and we've seen it in our meditation, but just using that as a way of bringing ourselves back to the center is something we can't actually always do, even if for a few seconds. Brings us back to the sense of, right, I am... You know, yes, in one sense, the world is out there and I'm part of it from looking at it from one particular angle, but also, and perhaps equally true, perhaps, I don't know, even more true, and this is the way the Buddha would talk about the world, the world is being something we are, it's inside us, as it it were. I mean, actually, it's not either inside or outside us. That's whole inside, outside is something we're creating. But the world is arising in my mind. Eventually, I see it's not my mind either sense of my mind, your mind, that's seen also, that's arising. So there's awareness and there's a sense of me and the past and the future. And it keeps coming up and it keeps coming up. So to do it like that, yes, it can get very refined and subtle. But to just take that as a contemplation in a, in a rough way as well, we can actually just tune into that sometimes if we feel like we're we're, uh, you know, we're losing track. 
and just notice. And for me, one of the effects is it right, brings me right back to the center. Right. Right. I'm creating all this, really. You know, I'm holding this idea of me traveling through time and having to do this. this the stories are rising right now in this moment. And then I go back to my body. And then, yes, I have to be involved with what I'm involved with. Just touching in to these ways can be, again, a way of training the mind to uh, be, be familiar with, to notice that which is always already there, this sense of awareness which encompasses. And even as I, as I say that, I know, well, that's not really true. There's no, no sense of awareness which encompasses. These are sort of hocus-pocus words that are being used, and they're not maybe even technically Theravadan. But these are ways of using language to turn the mind towards the direction that the Buddha was teaching, which is away from being involved, entrained, enslaved by those raw forces that all of us share of I want, I want, I want, and I don't want, I don't want, I don't want. And moha, the delusion, not seeing things as they are, the big, the veg on the couch. Those are raw, three raw tendencies that all of us share. And the way is to go against the stream, to start to release, release our involvement, non-becoming, allow, release. It's that taste of relief. And it won't necessarily feel pleasant, does it? Because it feels, you know, coming into touch with what's there can feel extremely unpleasant. But something in us knows, ah, yes, it's letting go. It's letting go. So using words like you know, awareness and presence and whatever else we're using are ways of starting to just teach our own hearts to become familiar with that way which is otherwise unnatural. It feels unnatural. In fact, it's very natural. It feels unnatural because we've been trained and conditioned to be caught like, like, like animals. We're kind of just getting the... Something feels good, you go for the good thing. Who was it who was talking about the... Ajahn Suchito's talk about the rats going for the pleasant sensation and hopping over the electric shocks to do, 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 poke the pleasant button. I mean, we're all doing that much of the time. And we have this capacity, this opportunity not to. So using some of these teachings in ways that make sense to us is, is our, uh, we have the kind of freedom and, and it's our responsibility to find ways that, that work. And it's possible because we're always breathing, we're always sitting here or standing or lying down or walking. The four postures are always in some, you know, variation. And it's possible when we're remembering this to turn the mind to, to notice. It's just that just noticing what's going on, eventually then becoming familiar with that which notices. It's already peaceful. Isn't that something? Even though my mind is feeling not peaceful, the body doesn't feel peaceful, and there's the knowing of it. Bringing that just to end, the sense of 
the, you know, we use this word suffering, dukkha, that is something we all share, we all know, whether it's dukkha dukkha or sukha dukkha, the dukkha of everything going right, but being afraid somewhere in you that it's going to change and having to preserve that dukkha. And when we bring that awareness, seeing that we're, you know, we are doing that, that becomes, starts to become something that we see. And so I have this image of the broom that Ajahn Sumedho talks about in this famous story he uses of when he was first at Ajahn Chah's monastery, coming from this year of having been very peaceful in his practice. He had an opportunity like we've had here, but for a whole year, and on his own in a little hut, a little kuti in Thailand, as a samanera, a novice, before he was a full monk. And he got very, very, very peaceful. And uh, eventually he realized he needed training, and circumstances took him to Ajahn Chah's monastery. And Ajahn Chah had a way of, of training which did not support that same way of getting peaceful, of getting the mind into peaceful states. And so there's a schedule of work in the morning and work in the afternoon, and in between you have to clean and, and you know, the, the, walk many miles and eat just one meal a day and this huge, you know, mix, mix all the food up together. And many of you have heard all of the stories, but it's, it's, it's not necessarily a set of physical circumstances which conduce to, you know, a, a tranquil mind. If you're looking for concentration in the, in the ordinary way of uh, concentration meditation, and so Ajahn Sumedha was feeling this and remembering his time in the kuti alone. He said, I was doing much better as a practitioner back in that kuti than here and really suffering with it. You know, three o'clock in the forest monasteries in Thailand. I don't know why it's three, but it's always three o'clock. You have the sweeping and the sweeping includes the cleaning, everything. You, you wash everything down about twice a day because there's so much dust in the air. And so you do it in the morning, you do it in the afternoon too. But everybody sweeps, and it's the forest, you know, but you're sweeping the forest. <laughs> so you get brooms, and, and part of it, you have to make the brooms yourself. It's quite nice if you, you know, if you get into the, kind of, you learn these little um, artisan skills, making bowl stands, making brooms, and that's part of it too. And then you sweep, you sweep the paths, because there are many creatures on the forest floor, and you're walking from kuti to kuti, and so it can be dangerous for the creatures and for the monks. There's snakes and, you know, bitey ants and centipedes too. So it, it helps to have these paths clear. And it looks neat. The, there's this sense of this place is well kept. You can tell it's a meditation monastery because everything's well kept. Simple and clean and, you know, there's a sense of caring for that comes from well-swept paths. And so they're sweeping as usual. And Ajahn Sumedha is going through his normal kind of the, what he was experiencing at that time, which was, you know, this is why am I here? Why are we doing this? You know, we'd never get to meditation, get back to your kuti, you're digesting this huge meal, and then you get, you know, two hours of the heat, and then the bell rings, and you have to go and make a broom, and then you have to go and sweep. And his mind was going like this, thinking I need to go back. And what uh, Ajahn Chah was walking around, and, and uh, again, this is my vision of the story. He's told it many times. But the Ajahn Chah just knew it was the right moment and walked up to him and said, 
with a big smile on his face, said, Oh, Sumedho, Wat Ba Pong is a lot of suffering, isn't it? <laughs> and then he walked away. And he got it. It was like just the right time. He saw, wait a minute, I'm doing this to myself. You know, actually, Wat Ba Pong, it was this peaceful forest. It's quite a peaceful thing to do when you're sweeping leaves in the forest, actually. There's a rhythm to it. There's the birds. Actually, there there's the roosters. For some reason, forest monsters also have these roosters all over the place. <laughs> so they're making a racket all the time. They're the, they're the noises of nature in a forest monastery. It's peaceful. It's, it, the whole environment was peaceful. And all of the suffering, all of the stirred upness that was coming from him having to do the work and this and this and this and that was coming from what he was doing, comparing to what he remembered in the past. It was peaceful before, it's not now. How do I get back to that? And all of the other thoughts he was creating, the main lesson, I'm doing this. It's not my life. And so I guess I, I'm leaving with this image because the lives that we all lead, especially for those of you in the workplace, out in the world, it's like that, you know. There's going to be stuff, it really can seem like it's my life which is making me suffer. It's my life which is why I'm not peaceful. Because the honking horns and the, you know, whatever it is, I, I, I can only use my imagination to, rem to imagine. The sounds of the office, you know, these are like, the, and, and, and here I am suffering with it. But actually, wait a minute, you know, is it really so does it really, is it itself stirred up? Or am I stirring myself up with this? Oh, this body. You know, actually my body's fairly comfortable right now sitting in this chair. And the sounds of people typing or, you know, I don't know. I can only try to imagine what the sounds of your workplace are or the family, you know. Even if it's kids screaming, sometimes it's lovely, sometimes it's neutral, sometimes it's unpleasant. But it's just sound, isn't it? It's not so bad. And we can be mindful of it. And then in making that turn, suddenly, in this place of non-peace, there's peace. And I see it's something I was doing to myself. So those are a few thoughts for reflection this morning. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.